0: While they're doing that, let me invite the rest of you to open your Bibles to Judges, chapter 6. Judges, chapter 6. If you use one of our pew Bibles, you're going to find our text today on page 206. We have a lot of text to read today, so I hope you'll stay with me and keep your Bibles out and follow along. I think that'll make it a little bit more, a little easier for you. We're continuing with our summer series entitled Legacies, where we have, looking back into the Old Testament... And taking a look of some of the, the pilgrims of the faith who have gone before us, who have left us a legacy of how to deal with certain elements in our own lives. Today we come to Gideon. And, and I, I want to use Gideon today to address, I think, a spiritual issue that, that many of us, if not all of us, struggle with. And that is the issue of, of feeling inadequate spiritually. You know, we've, we've had a lot of opportunity to be called to commitment lately in the life of our, our church the 40 Days in the Word campaign, and our teens just got back from their mission project. And, and then they also just got back from youth camp uh, literally just yesterday. And, and many of us in our life groups have been looking forward to and taking steps forward spiritually. You know. And, and the song that kind of keeps running through my mind is this song that I listen to sometimes when I'm running. It's, it's entitled Between the Altar and the Door. you know. And, and the whole theme of the song is that sometimes when we're in, we're in the presence of God, like in a worship service... And we sense the voice of God speaking into our lives, we are committed to taking action, but somehow, in the distance between the altar and the door as we leave, that sense of resolve gets lost and I want to suggest to you that that by and large, that happens in our lives because of one or two reasons: one is because we won't we won't follow through. we make the choice not to follow through. we reject that that happens in many of our lives we won't we won't embrace the spiritual disciplines that we need in order to be able to stay reminded about how we need to walk with Jesus every single day. Or we won't undertake the change that we need to go through in order to be able to, to take steps, next steps forward spiritually. And so there's the won't aspect. But for some of us, we also struggle in answering the voice of God with a sense of, I can't. I just can't. That's not me. Or, or, or I, I'm just not up to that. Or, or I can't accomplish that. Or I can't do that. And if you've felt that way before, Gideon speaks to us. Gideon's a, a tremendous story for us. And I want to begin to, to read along. I mean, his culture is very much like our culture. His father's name, Joash, we're going to encounter him in just a few verses, means Yahweh has given. and yet, his, Which means that the God of Israel has given them. Given the people the promised land, given them an identity. But his father is the host of the pagan worship center for their community. So what they've done is they've taken faith and they've taken culture and they've just mixed it together and been happy with it. Kind of sounds like the days that we live in, right? We want to believe in God, but we want to be politically correct. You know, we don't want to stand out too much, as too different. and We don't want our convictions to really bother anybody. We, we struggle with all that kind of stuff. So it's into that environment that we find Gideon. Now Gideon is during the period of the Judges. This is after Moses and Joshua, but before the kings. So this is the time in which God is supposed to be ruling the people directly. He is supposed to be their king, and the nation of Israel is supposed to be a theocracy, God in charge. It's not working so well. (laughs) The people reject God, they rebel. God disciplines them. Then there's a spirit of repentance, and then God... Delivers them. And the judges are the means of that deliverance. We're, in the, we're several cycles into this. And we come to Gideon. The book of Judges gives more coverage to Gideon than any other judge. Samson's pretty close. Samson gets more chapters, four, but he gets less verses. He only gets 96. Gideon gets 100. <laughs> but it's in three chapters. And you will need to remember that the chapters and verses came literally a 1,000 plus years after this was written. Okay? Maybe, maybe closer to 2,000 years l- later. Let's pick up with verse 1, now that I've been doing all this talking. All right? The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to, the, to Midian seven years, and they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places from themselves in the mountains, the caves, and the strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, along with the Amalekites and the eastern peoples, came and, and attacked them. They encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land even as far as Gaza. They left left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents like a great swarm of locusts, and they and their camels were without number, and they entered and they entered the land to waste it. So Israel became poverty stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord. Now just a couple of statements here. Midian the Midianites were nomadic people who lived out south of the Dead Sea. So they're off to the to the southeast of the main part of, of um, Israel. The Amalekites were just to the west of them, between them and the coast of the Mediterranean, but down in the desert. And then there were people who lived as nomads in the deserts that were east of the Jordan. And the Midianites are rallying them all together and coming into the land... And they're oppressing them as far as the coastal region of Gaza along the Mediterranean and also push, pushing all the way to the north, virtually all the way to the Sea of Galilee. It's a bad scene. And the people cry out to the Lord. We assume that this is a cry of repentance, but it could, could be that they're, just re, they're crying out because of their circumstances. Sometimes we do that. We don't really want to change our sin, but we just want to cry out to God because our life stinks because of all the problems we brought into it by our rebellion. Verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to him because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to them. And here's what the prophet said. says, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and the power of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in, but you've disobeyed me. This is why this is happening. You've been disobedient. So now we pick up with Gideon. The angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the yoke that is in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Ab- Abazerite. There we go. That's a tough word to say, Abazerite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the vine vat, vat in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, actually, I think I have a picture of a wine press here. This is from our recent trip to Israel. And this is actually in a garden area that's close to what is one of the traditional sites of Golgotha and for where Jesus was buried. And this was excavated. And you can see that there, the upper area to the left is where they would put all the grapes in. And people with, I'm assuming, clean feet would climb in there and step on them. And it would all run down to the area that's more in the shade. And it goes down, if you really look to the bottom... You can actually see some leaves that are down like three feet in. Now, the only problem with this is that when you are harvesting wheat, what you want to do is you want to get it up in the air so that the wind can blow the shaft away and allow the grain to fall back down and pile up. When you're down in a wine press that's that's you know that's sunken, that doesn't work very well. Gideon's this is reflective of the fact that he's trying to hide from the Midianites because he doesn't want to lose everything that he's harvested that year. Pick up with verse 12 again. So he's in this situation, and the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's, I'm probably sure, is thinking, right. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm cowering away in this winepress, making this job incredibly hard, and you're calling me a, a valiant warrior. So Gideon says to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But, but now the Lord's abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. (laughs) The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have, and deliver Israel from the power of Midian. Am I not sending you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. But I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike down Midian as if it were one man. Then he said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, give me a sign that you are speaking with me. Please do not leave this place until I return to you. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went and prepared a young goat, an unleavened bread from a half bushel of flour, probably about 30 pounds worth. And he placed the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot. And he brought them and he offered them to him under the oak. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat with the unleavened bread and put it on the stone and pour the broth on it. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord extended the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And, and fire came up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon realized he was, realized that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, oh, oh no, Lord God. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The conviction that the, the Jews had was that if they actually saw God or God's messenger, that they would die. It was, you know, that they, because they were sinful and they couldn't be in the presence of that which wasn't sinful. It would kill them. So he was afraid he was going to die. But, but the Lord says to him in verse 23, Peace to you. Don't be afraid, for you will not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it Yahweh Shalom. It is still in Afra of the Abysarites until today. On that very night the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, and a second bull, seven years old, then tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah pole besides beside it. The the Israelites had adopted a, a the, the fertility religion of the region. It was a culture. So Baal was the male God, Asherah was the female God the whole idea was to try to entice them to mate to one with one another, so the land would be fertile and the crops would grow, and etc. So, it, it, you know, and so it was a very enticing cult because it was all about sexuality. And so, so um, Gideon's father is maintaining the community pl- cult, if you will, and he's got an altar to Baal, and he's got the Asherah pole that stands behind it. Be a And then God says in verse 26, he said, once you've torn it down, build a well-constructed altar to the Lord your God on the top of this rock. Take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole you've cut down. So Gideon took 10 of his male servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do in the daytime, he did it at night. When the men of the city got up in the morning, they found Baal's altar torn down and the, the astral pole beside it cut down, and, and the second bull offered up in the altar where that had been built. And they said, Who did this? You know, and when you have a secret that's kept by 11 people, you have no secret at all, you know, right? So, so the, who did this? And so, after a thorough investigation, they figured it was Gideon, the son of Joash, did it. So they come and they want to kill Joash, kill Gideon. But Joash intervenes, basically saying, hey, listen, if Baal's really a god, then just let him fight for himself. He doesn't need our help. And so he's able to spare Gideon's life. Let's pick up with verse 33. So all the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the the Kedamites gathered together, crossed the Jordan, and camped in the valley of Jezreel. So now they're much further north. They're up much closer to the Sea of Galilee on the west side of the Jordan River. The Spirit of the Lord enveloped Gideon, and he blew the ram's horn and the the Abesarites rallied behind him. So the horn would have looked something like that, maybe a little longer, and I can't blow this. Maybe we'll get some of the trumpeters in our group to learn how to blow it so we can blow it down. But this is the kind of horn they would have used, and they come sometimes as much as two or three feet long. And they would use it as a signal. This back before cell phones and and Facebook to rally the crowds in the squares. They had to just blow the horn to get people there. That's exactly what they did. Picking up in verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you said, I will put a fleece of wool here on the threshing floor. And if dew is only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, I will know that you will deliver Israel by my strength, as you said. And that is what happened. When he got up early in the morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung dew out of it, filling a bowl with water. But Gideon's no dummy. Gideon realizes that if there had been dew the night before, the rest of the dew might have soaked into the water already. I mean, soaked into the ground and be dry. And so, and so he's saying, you know, that could have just been normal stuff, you know, with the fleece still having water in it, but the rest of it being dry. So he said, God, let, don't be angry with me. Let, let me speak one more time. Please allow me to make one more test with the fleece. He said, just do it the other way around this time, would you? Let the fleece remain dry and the dew be all over the ground. And that night, God did as Gideon requested. Only the fleece was dry and the dew was all over the ground. So Jerubbabel, that's the name that he was given. In other words, instead of Gideon, which means let Baal contend with him. says, and everyone who was with him got up early and camped beside the spring of Herod. We actually have a picture of that, I think. Next slide. That is the spring of Herod. I'm sure the fence wasn't there when Gideon was there. And it actually would have been a lot more water coming out of the ground because the nation of Israel was actually tapped into the underwater aquifer quite a bit to get to get um, water to be able to drink. And so the, almost all the springs have gone down in their volume. But this is what it, it would have looked like he would have brought his people to. So they arrive at, at the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them, below the hill of Mora in the valley. From where they're standing on this, they can look across the valley, and they can see the 135,000 Midianites encamped at the base of Mora. So Gideon's there, and he's got 32,000 men's. So God says to him, You have too many men. You are only outnumbered four to one. You got you got too many men. So and Israel might say, Oh, I did this myself. Now announcing in the presence of the people, and this is in keeping with something that's taught in Deuteronomy, says whoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So here you got thirty two thousand guys, they're standing by this water, they look up four miles across the valley, they see this hundred and thirty five thousand person army and 22,000 of them says, I'm going home. <laughs> so out they go. They go from 32,000 to 10,000. So, so now they're only outnumbered 14 to 1. They've gone from 4 to 1 to 14 to 1. Then Gideon. Then the Lord said to Gideon, there, there's still too many people. <laughs> Take them down to the water and I will test them there for you. If I say to you, this one can go with you, he can go. But if I say about anyone, this cannot go with you, he cannot go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, separate everyone who laps water with his tongue like a dog, do the same with everyone who kneels to drink. The number of those who lapped with hands to their mouths was 300 men, and all the rest of the people knelt to drink water. So some of the guys got down to the water, they kind of scooped it up, and they they drank it out of their hands. The rest of them got down on their knees and just stuck their faces right in, you know, and were trying to suck up all the water they can. So 300 guys scooped it. The other 9,700 stuck their faces in. So this is what God says. It says the Lord said to Gideon, verse seven, I will deliver you with the three hundred men. Now we're ready. The odds are four hundred and fifty to one. We're ready for the battle now. We've gone from four to one to fourteen to one to four hundred and fifty to one, right? It says, I will deliver you with three hundred men who lapped and hand the, the nights over to you, but everyone else is to go home. So Gideon sent all the Israelites to their tent. The impression we get with how the story goes, he just says, You guys just go back to the camp and stay there. But they gave the three hundred men all their their horns their lanterns and a pot to be able to put over the lantern to keep it from shining until they got around the Midianite camp. So verse nine, (laughs) the Lord said to him, get up and go into the camp for I've given it into your hand. But if you're afraid, go, go to the camp and go with your servant, Porah, listen to what they say, and then you will be strengthened to go to the camp. So uh, now after the fleece, after the the burnt-up offering, everything, God says, if you're still not sure, just walk down to the camp just with your servant. The two of you just sneak up onto the edge of the camp, and I'm going to confirm one more time what it is I'm going to do. So they get there. In verse 13, when Gideon arrived, there was a man telling his friend about a dream. He said, listen, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread, the farmer Gideon, right? A loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp, struck a tent, and it fell. So they had already heard about Gideon and his forces. So, and the loaf turned the tent upside down so that it collapsed. And his friend answered, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has handed the entire Midianite camp over to him. That, that, that's a good word for Gideon, isn't it? You get to go down and you spy, you know, and, and, and this guy's telling this dream. And the guy says, I know what that dream means. We're going to get smucked, you know, by Gideon. We're going to lose this battle. So when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship and he returned to Israel's camp. And he said, Get up, for the Lord has handed the Midianite camp over to you. Then he took the 300 men into three companies and gave each of the men a trumpet in one hand and an empty pitcher with a torch inside it in the other. Watch me, he said, and do the same. When I come to the outpost of the camp, do as I do. When When I and everyone with me blow our trumpets, you also blow your trumpets all around the camp. Then you will say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And Gideon and the hundred men who were with him went up to the, into the, to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch about ten o'clock at night after the sentries had been stationed. They blow their trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew their trumpets and shattered their pitchers. And they held their torches in their left hands and their trumpets in their rights. And they shouted, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And each Israelite took his position around the camp. And the entire Midianite army fled and cried out as they ran. When Gideon's men blew their 300 trumpets, and the Lord set the swords of each man in the army against each other, they fled to beth in the direction of Zerarah, as far as the border of, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, near Tabith. <laughs> then the men of Israel were called from Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh, and they pursued the Midianites. Great story, huh? And there's more to it in chapter 8. But we're going to stop there. Let, let, me, let me make a few comments about dealing with spiritual inadequacies. And the first thing I I want us to understand is is what causes us to say, I can't. It's one thing for us to say, I won't. I won't follow God. I won't do what God's asked me to do. It's a different thing for us to say, I can't. And and the causes of our spiritual inadequacies can come from lots of places. Sometimes it comes from our circumstances, right? Gideon's basically response to the angel at the beginning. The angel shows up. Gideon's trying to thresh his wheat in a wine press. His, his life is very difficult. And this angel shows up. He doesn't know it's an angel and calls him a valiant warrior. Tells him God's going to deliver the people. <laughs> and, and, and Gideon says, yeah, right. Take a look around, would you? You know, this isn't the glory days of walking through the Red Sea, you know, and Moses leading out in the pillar of fire and the smoke. It's not those days. This is the day when God has abandoned us. There are no more displays of power anymore. And He's just looking at the circumstances around Him. And He's saying, this can't happen, and therefore I can't do it. Sometimes we have that exact same feeling, whether it's in our life circumstances, or whether it's in the circumstances of our society, or whatever. We look at things and say, God just doesn't do those things anymore. It's a different world, and we have this sense of, of our, uh, we, we develop these spiritual inadequacies. Sometimes it has to do with our personal credibility. Gideon basically says back to the Lord to hear, says, You know, nobody's going to listen to me. I'm from Manasseh. Now, I may not be from the lowest tribe on the rung, but I got to tell you, the tribe just to the south of us, the Ephraimites, and you're going to see this in chapter 8, they're the big boys in the block. They're the ones who have the most established area. They're the leaders of the group, not, that, not Manasseh. On top of that, my clan is the least among the clan. My family is the least among the clan of Manasseh. That might not have been so true, given that Gideon had access to ten servants, so he wasn't necessarily destitute. And his father's household was the keeper of the community altar, if you will, to Baal. So they had some standing in the community... But it worked good for Gideon at the time to say, well, you know, my family's the least, and, and I'm the youngest. And nobody pays attention to the runt of the family. Why do you think I'm standing here in this wine press doing the, the, the tough work, you know? And so we have these issues with credibility. you know. And sometimes we look at it and say, who am I? Who am I to take a spiritual lead? And we struggle with the credibility issue. (laughs) Sometimes it's an issue of assets. You know, in this text, it goes the other way around. They start out at four to one. I'm sure Gideon's thinking to himself, you know, if I can beat 135,000 men with 32,000 men, they'll look at me as a pretty good general. And then God cuts it to 10,000 men. Then he cuts it to 300 men. You know, because sometimes we can get in a position where we think it just depends upon us. And therefore, all we have is the resources in front of us. And we can struggle with the assets that are available to us. And we're going to look at the solution to that in just a minute. Sometimes we feel spiritually inadequate because of the opposition we're up against. When did Gideon pull down the altar that his father had built? At night. Why? Because he's scared. <laughs> he's scared, And he had good reason to. As soon as the guys got up in the morning and saw what had happened, they were ready to cut his head off. And one of the things that can really make you feel intimidated to take a stand for God is opposition. And then we can say, I can't, I can't. What do you think? What do you think was running through the mind of the 22,000 guys who went home? I can't look at that. Those guys, 135, man, that is a huge camp. I'm out of here. How do you overcome spiritual inadequacy? I'm not sure Gideon offers us all of the solution. But, but he gives us a couple of really strong things to think about today. Things to emulate in our own lives. Notice what Gideon does in the midst of this. Here's a word that's coming into him that is really out there. He, he's just this poor farmer who's trying to get his wheat harvested before the Midianites come and take it. And he, he's got expectations that are really low. And God says, I'm going to use you to throw off the Midianites as one man. And the first thing that Gideon does, I, I don't know if he had a plan for this, but his instinct took them, is the first thing he wanted to do was confirm the authenticity of the source of his message, of his leadership. <laughs> you, know, you know what he, he recognized here again in chapter, chapter 6, verse 17? You know, the guy's saying all this stuff, I'm going to be with you and you will strike down Midian as it, as it were one man. And, and, and Gideon's thing. all right, listen, can you just wait here for a while? I need about three hours to go prepare a kid Get this thing ready and I'll bring it back to you. And so he bring, comes back and he brings an offering. He's got the meat. He's got the broth. He's got the barley, the unleavened bread. And, he, and they spread it out on this rock and the angel touches it with the tip of his staff and up it goes. Immediately, Gideon knows, God's talking to me. This is God who's talking. One of the best things that we can do to deal with our inadequacies spiritually is just to authenticate who it is that's talking to us. And realize that it's God. say a little bit more about that after I get through this next point. Notice as well that Gideon, not one, not two, but on three different occasions, confirms the substance of what it is that God has said to him. He starts out with fleece test number one. This is referred to the time when God got fleeced, okay? And, And so the first one is like, all right, God, if you're really calling me to take these guys and go conquer that huge army, here's what I want you to do. Just to prove it to me, just to confirm the substance of what it is that you're saying to me. It says the content. It says, just let all the ground be bare, but let the fleece just be full of water from the dew that came overnight. Gideon gets up in the morning, takes the fleece, squeezes it. The fleece is like you know made out of like sheep sheep's wool, you know. And he just squeezes it, and it fills a whole cup with water. Gideon's like, well, you know, maybe the dew just evaporated into the ground, you know, got soaked into the ground, evaporated. God, can you do it the other way around? The next day I want to get up, I want the ground just to be just heavy with dew. You know, like when you walk across your grass early in the morning and your shoes get all wet and stuff because of the dew that's there even though it didn't rain the night before. Just let it be really heavy with dew. But when I pick up that fleece and I squeeze it, I want it to be bone dry. That's what God does. <laughs> then just on the eve of the battle, God said, hey, you know, if you still got questions, let me give you one more affirmation of what it is that I'm telling you to do. Just take a walk down by the... T- by the camp, just get on the outskirts. They keep the A team out on the edges, protecting the camp. And this guy's talking about this dream. He says, "I had this dream last night. It's just bothering me. Did you know that this? It was weird too. You know, this loaf of barley just came bouncing into the camp and it and it knocked down a tent in, in our. Th- and the guy, I know what that means. Right? Gideon with his army, he, he's gonna he's gonna annihilate us three different times. He was able to affirm the substance. Now I, I think there's some value to us repeating our confirmation of what it is that god's calling us to do but i see the sources of being able to confirm the authenticity and confirm the substance of what it is that god's saying to us the three sources we primarily have are the word of god the scriptures why we're always pushing you know the word of god read it for yourself that's why we're trying to give you the tools to do that so you have that for yourself secondly rely on the holy spirit god is god speaks to you on the inside and it lines up with what God's saying in the Word, it's a tremendous form of confirming the authenticity and the substance of what it is that God's saying to you. Then rely on those around you that you think are good spiritual advisors. People who know the heart of God, who know the mind of God, and who have trustworthy input for you. And when those three things collide, you can confirm the authenticity and the substance of what it is that God's calling you to do. But I think also we need to understand where spiritual competency comes from. In other words, we, we can have these feelings of inadequacy, but what does it take to do to, to beat, to feel adequate? And it comes from just two places. And those are the divine commission and the divine companionship. I'm not going to spend very long here. Just take a quick look at these. Verse 13, sorry, verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the power of Midian. Spiritual adequacy, competency comes from the divine commission. When God says go, when God says do, when God says be, that's look at verse 16. But I will be with you, the Lord said to him, you will strike down Midian as one man. That's the promise of the companionship. Of God, Kind of sounds like Matthew 28, doesn't it? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to deserve all that I have commanded you. For, lo, I am with you always. Divine commission, divine companionship. That's where spiritual competency comes from. It's interesting that my son's old high school baseball coach is in our service this morning, because I was going to talk about a productive out is our conclusion. You know, in baseball, you can have a guy on third, you know, and you can loft a fly ball to the outfield and he can tag up and score, and they refer to that as a productive out. You know, you're still out, but the run scores. you got your job done, right? You know, sometimes feeling spiritually inadequate can actually be productive because spiritual, a sense of spiritual inadequacy is the launching pad. It's a prerequisite for being used by God in a powerful way. As long as you and I think that we can do this by ourselves, we ain't going to do nothing. But when we understand that we can do nothing apart from Christ, that productive that out can produce great things. See, it's not a bad thing to feel spiritually inadequate. It's just a bad thing to stay in a place where you're always saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Because God's saying you can. Go, go, go. Let's pray together. God, thanks for your word today. Thanks for Gideon. You know, Father, I just love it that you take real people who struggle with real issues just like us and you show us what you can do through them. God, we stand before you today, and, and I'm, I'm sure that all of us have resonated with the sense of inadequacies that Gideon felt. God, how can you use us, just us, to change the world? Even just to change our own homes like he changed his home. God, how, And we just don't see it in us. God, thanks for putting us in that place. But now, Father, we know the truth and we're responsible for it, that you're with us and you've sent us. So do something productive, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing a final word to the Lord as we celebrate Him this morning. and invite our ushers to come forward in a moment and begin to receive our offering as we sing.